Welcome to the Hope Revolution messages. You'll be able to find our sermon podcast at hoperevolution.church forward slash sermon, as well as all other podcast players. We hope you enjoy this message. I just want to say it's a privilege to be able to preach. I um, always get so much out of the week, um, or in this, probably in this case, days um, before preaching, um, given there was a little bit less notice. But nonetheless, um, I've been so blessed by being able to just dive into God's Word, have an excuse to, you know, and, and Catherine was very willing to let me do this, but lock myself away in the study for hours on end yesterday and just pour over God's Word. Like, it's not a... That's not something that obviously we always get to do. We have the luxury of doing, but it's nice to be able to say I'm preaching, you know, and have a good excuse to do that. So I love what you prayed before, Cal, in that God's been speaking to me long before I knew I was preaching. I felt really convicted this morning in going into my preparation that I needed to share um, something that, you know, is is biblically based but is also really relevant to my journey with God and is is relevant to how my understanding of God's character has changed and developed and been fine-tuned over um, the years. And I've titled it Emperor and Empower not because they are concepts that explicitly appear in Scripture or not even because... These are words that I've used to describe God's character over the years, but it was just a nice alliteration and I packaged up some really complex com- concepts that I was working through in the simplistic, most simplistic way possible. And Pete said I had to have a message title. So <laughs> here we are, Emperor and Empower. Um, having said that, I am gonna, I'm going to use these terms throughout to refer to two concepts that I think are, are fundamental to or descriptive of the character that we we see about Yahweh through the, the scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament. Before I get cracking with unpacking these two um, attributes, I just want to do a little bit of talking about, I guess, some of the mechanics of, of understanding God's character because something that I've become aware of over the years is that we can we can take a characteristic or an attribute of God and we can blow it out of proportion. God's character is complex. And as esteemed theologian Wayne Grudem says, when scripture speaks about God's attributes, it never singles out one attribute of God as more important than all the rest. Every attribute is completely true of God and is true of all of God's character. Example in point, drinking water. Can anyone give me a, an attribute of the drinking water that's in front of me? It's wet, good. It's clear. It's clear, fantastic. There's two on my list. H2O. H2O, chemistry, yep. It hydrates. Hydra- it hydrates us. Thirst quencher. Yes, it has weight. That's correct. Yes, it's, it's liquid. It's not restricted to a certain form. Yes, correct. We're going to stop there because we're all very analytical people here and I don't want to talk about water for the entire morning. I could only come up with four, so you guys have done well. Thanks for helping me out. If we say water is just liquid and we're trying to teach a kid how to identify water, we're going to have a problem because they're going to, they might end up drinking Coca-Cola for the rest of their life thinking, oh, this is water. And they're going to end up in a very unhealthy state. 
So we also need to say, hey, this drinking water that we that sustains life, that we need every day to keep our bodies going. It's not just liquid, it's clear as well. But we can't stop there either, because if I'm in India, as I was a couple of years ago, if I just drink any clear, wet liquid, I may not last that long. I also need to know that it's been maybe packaged up or filtered in a way that makes it healthy, right? Um, and I also probably need to look for it in its liquid form. I mean, crunching on ice cubes is all right, but as a sole means of ingesting H2O, H2O throughout my life, I'm probably going to destroy my teeth if I'm crunching on about 20 ice blocks each day. So we need to actually take multiple attributes and we need to factor them in when we're understanding how to interact with this substance, right? It's the same with God. If we just say God is love, then we might end up being drawn to a lot of different sources for our fulfilment in life and we might feel very loved and we might all, we might feel fluffy and not having conflict in life but we might not have the experience of actually boundaries and being able to live a productive and healthy life within the boundaries that God's set right because we know that God's also a judgmental God and he has standards Right, and he's given us, he's communicated some of those standards to us so that we live a productive life. Conversely, if we just think about God as a God of judgment, we're going to be scared, <laughs> right? I think of a particular Baptist church in America that, and the media has a role in perhaps blowing their message out of proportion, but it's not helpful if God, if, if we're communicating to the world, he's just a God of judgment, he's also a God of love, right? If we isolate characteristics of God, we can also be blind to what he's actually doing in our life. You know, if we just understand that he's a God of healing and he always heals, he just wants to heal, we'll miss the beauty and the rich work that he does through suffering in our lives. And as another example, we can also limit his capacity to actually do his work in our hearts if we isolate a characteristic. You know, again, if we take this concept of God of order and, and we blow that out of proportion in relation to God's characteristic of being a spontaneous God and sometimes actually doing things that are a little bit outside the boxes we create and the categories we create, we can create a legalistic religion and we can box people up. Um, I was actually talking to a colleague. He was talking about the fact that, you know, if he didn't rock up to church and he had his tie kind of nice and straight and his suit all done up, he would find that the topic of the message would suddenly turn to the importance of God being you know, God of order and you need to make sure that you're dressed well when you come to church. Um, and if there was a conflict in the, in the Islander community throughout the week, he said families would often find themselves being preached at on a Sunday morning. It's quite a legalistic environment. And praise God, uh, my colleague who actually said that he intentionally rocked up to church in his Nike kicks and with bags of chips and that sort of thing to just spite the, the community, which wasn't a great reaction as well, but just shows the the season he was going through. Thankfully, according to God's grace, he is now in a more loving community where he, he's, he worships God really genuinely and truly and he's, he's an amazing guy who has an amazing story. But it's just another example of how we can pull one characteristic that we see in Scripture out and be like, God's, a, God's this, God's that, and we can forget other things. And so we need to aim for a holistic understanding of God's character, just like we need a holistic understanding of you know, water as a 
drinking water as a source of life. So that's why I've picked two concepts this morning just to unpack a little bit. Emperor and empowerer. This relates to something that I struggled with over the, over the years. I always saw God as an authoritative figure, benevolent, like loving, and I, I love being around him. But I almost saw him a bit like a, I guess, like a loving dictator. Like he's going to tell me what to do all the time. This is how I want to conceptualize these two terms. So emperor, he's an emperor in the sense that he has authority, gives us specific instructions and directions about how we should live. He's got the best ideas. Now, not all emperors always had the best ideas, um, but we understand God always has the best ideas, and we're wise to follow that idea, those ideas, right? Um, and you'll notice in the background there, I've got a picture of five, five Roman emperors there. Their history, history sees them as the five good emperors. Between about 90 AD and 180, I think it was AD, there was a period of relative stability in the Roman Empire where the emperors weren't doing two crazy things. There was still a lot of craziness happening um, and it wasn't perfect, but they were good. So I guess that's just to elicit the idea that God is a, is a good emperor. Um, but I've learned over the years that God also empowers us. Sometimes he gives us creative license within the, you know, the instructions or the directions that he provides in his word and, and by his Holy Spirit. Um, not because we can do better things better than him, but because, as Pete was call, uh, talking about last week, he's a creative God. He's a creator. And so he has created us to be creative. And he wants us to reflect that by having a certain amount of freedom to make choices about how we live our lives. The most plain example is an artist. You know, Helen, Paul's wife, I, I doubt she sits there and God doesn't give her a transcript of things to paint, right? She, she exercises her creative genius, which comes from God, of course, but there's not a, a direct, you know, script that she's following. Um, now, I had a bit of... St- bit of trouble, um, as I think a lot of young adults do in our society with choice overload when it came to, you know, the age of about 18 through, I'd say, even up until a couple of years ago. And I really struggled with the questions, what do I choose to do with my career, with my life? Who do I marry? What university course should I do? What car should I buy? It even got as bad as one, I remember one morning being anxious about what socks I was going to put on. I thought, geez, God, if you, you, you have the best ideas, you must know what the best pair of socks for me to wear this morning are. And it was, I wasn't super anxious. It's not like I you know, had, a, had a panic attack or a meltdown about it, but I just, I was struggling with it. I was like, do I, am I supposed to like listen to you, God? Like, where's the line here, Right. Um, there are so many choices out there for for young adults, and I remember getting told in you know school and as a as a young person, you can do whatever you want, you can be whatever you want to be, and that was largely unhelpful because as someone who's fairly analytical, I want to make the best choice, right? And I found that the best approach was to pray and and seek God, and if I didn't get a specific instruction. Um, move forward and trust that hopefully God was going to speak and confirm it, all right? But that created a lot of anxiety. And I, you, you would, if, if I allowed you to read my personal journals, um, you would 
probably find quite an anxious young adult who spent a lot of time mulling over decisions, probably more time than was necessary. And I think that was partially because I had this narrative in my head about God that he always, he's going to tell you what to do. He's got great plans for your life. He's going to reveal them to you eventually. you just got to pray. You've got to seek him. You don't want to do anything without consulting God because you might not be a good Christian. And I, I put on a pedestal, you know, and I don't, again, I don't want to knock the, the kind of the super charismatic movement, but I put on a pedestal people like, you know, Todd White, who was constantly getting words from God about who he should be praying for. And, and these, these, you know, popular Christian leaders that, you know, had testimonies about how God had given them a specific call. And he's, oh, go and do that job, go to that church and become the pastor, you know, all those sorts of things. And I was like, oh, gosh, I've got to figure it out. And that's, that's no one's fault. That's my fault for, you know, listening to the wrong voices, right? Thankfully, God came through. And like that gentle whisper that we read of, I think it's Elijah or Elisha in the cave, in my ear, it's okay, Sam. I'm going to teach you how to make decisions. You don't have to have a clear word from me. Trust me. And I went on a bit of a journey of learning that actually sometimes God just wanted me to make a decision. He wanted me to, to make a choice. There was, there's some things that are out of bounds, of course. Me choosing to go and become a male prostitute, that's probably not something that was within God's <laughs> confines. <laughs> I didn't choose that. That's hypothetical. It's all right, Catherine. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Thankfully, God has given us some pretty explicit instructions with regard to um, our sexuality and our exercise of that in terms of career. So I just want to work through a couple of passages this morning that show us that, you know, that God does set boundaries and he does give instructions, but he also gives a lot of freedom and that's really beautiful. I'm going to need a hand with just reading scripture. So if you've got a Bible with you or a phone that has a Bible app, if you just want to, if you want to help me out by reading, that'd be fantastic. I don't mind which translation you go for. Preferably, you know, something standard like the NIV and I'll tell you something more centre rather than the Passion Translation or um, the Old King James, just for the purposes of my, um, you know, talking to the to the to the principles of Scripture. Can I get someone to look up Genesis two for me? It'll be six verses sixteen through to twenty. Can I get somebody to look up one Chronicles twenty nine? Um, Jeremiah twenty nine, four to nine. I'll get someone to jump to Luke chapter ten and then Acts sixteen. Somebody happy to take Acts sixteen. So I just want to work through, as I said, a couple of passages that show us um, this concept. So I'll get um whoever had the Genesis passage, Paul. Can you please read yeah, verses 16 to 17. I'll go through all the way through to 20. 16 to 20, thanks. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a help for, suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. 
And Adam gave names to all the cattle, all the to the birds of the air, and to every animal of the field. And there was not, but there was not a, uh, but there was not found a suitable helper for Adam. Thanks, Paul. So we see here that God has given Adam a task. Right, he's to name the animals. He's also to cultivate vegetation for food. Right. The first command that he gives is the about the food. He gives him a gives Adam a pretty wide, like long leash. He says, "You can eat any from any of these plants except this one tree." Now, God hasn't told him how to make a vegetable stew or a nice curry. He's left that up to Adam and subsequent generations to figure out how to do that. And how thankful are we? Because we have such a diverse array of foods across the world. Secondly, God says to Adam, the animals need a name. I think that's pretty phenomenal that God let Adam give names to all the animals. Again, an example of God giving a task, but actually leaving it up to humans as to how they carry it out. Pretty cool, right? Let's jump to God's relationship with Israel. Who's got the One Chronicles passage? Thanks, Kel. Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God, Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasure of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. I am donating more than 112 tonnes of gold from Ophir, and 262 tonnes of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army, and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. For the construction of the temple of God, they gave about 188 tonnes of gold. 10,000 gold coins, 375 tonnes of silver, 675 tonnes of bronze, and 3,750 tonnes of iron. They also contributed numerous precious stones which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehael, a descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. If you remember back to... Shortly after the Exodus, God gave Moses some really specific plans about how the tabernacle was to be constructed. However, fast forward a couple of 2,000 years, however long it was, between then and King David, probably a little bit less than that. I think my chronology is a little bit out. Yeah, more like a 1,000. Thanks, David. David actually initiates this one. He wants to build a temple for God because he just wants to worship God, right? And I love this example particularly because I think it reflects how God has created us to worship him and to bring things to him because we love him. David wanted to do something for God and the people joined him in donating materials and um, wealth in order to do this. And God didn't oppose their plans. He was, From what we read in scripture, it sounds like he approved of the, of the idea of a temple being built, right? We then read that God did actually intervene and he said to David, I don't want you to build it. 
I want your son to build it. Um, essentially because David had shed too much blood um, is, is the, the common understanding of why that was. Perfect example of how sometimes we want to do stuff for God and he doesn't, he doesn't block it, um, but he might give us a little bit of guidance to say, actually, why don't you think about this? But the principle remains. He hasn't given us a specific set of instructions that we need to follow like robots. Um, he's a creative God and he wants us to be creative in the way that we, that we live. I'd actually skip over the Jeremiah one just for the purposes of time. Sorry, Mum, I'm going to... Um, Luke 10, fast forwarding to Jesus' time on earth. David, I believe you've got that one, is that right? Thanks. Uh, just 1 to 11, if you can, thanks. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray earnestly of the Lord of the harvest to send out the labourers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will return to you. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide for you, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whether you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to the feet we wipe off against you. So again, we see God kind of acting a little bit, Jesus acting a little bit like a, an emperor in the fact that he's giving direct instructions to his disciples, right? But he doesn't tell them what houses to go to. He doesn't tell them how long they should stay at each house. I actually find it pretty astounding that Jesus, you know, who's got a, ba- a bunch of like, a bit of riffraff, you know, we, we assume from what we read of the disciples in scripture that they're pretty rough around the edges, right? And he just sends them out. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? They're like half trained. They're going to cause, they're probably going to cause a few problems. Like, they haven't got it all together yet. But he just sends them out, gives them a few key instructions and lets them do their thing. How beautiful. And I think we can take heart from that in our own efforts and our own ministries in that God's not going to give us a blueprint. He actually trusts us and it's okay if we make a few mistakes, right? I'm assuming here that there was some, maybe some awkward conversations the disciples had with townspeople. You know, Jesus anticipated that. Few of them aren't going to like you. If they kick you out, shake the dust off your feet. Um, how beautiful that God doesn't expect us to be robots in ministry. The Acts passage. If you can read six verse, uh, sorry, verses 6 to 12, that would be really good. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, I realise I should give some context to what we're reading. This is Paul and I believe Timothy. I could be wrong on that one though. Uh, Yeah, Timothy joins Paul and Silas. Thanks. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But by the Spirit of Jesus, but, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, 
they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Again, um, we see God via the Holy Spirit dropping instructions into Paul's head via a dream. And we've just obviously finished a series on Acts as a church. And I, I love how through Acts, it, it almost seems, it seems like the Holy Spirit steps into the forefront for a moment and gives a direction, says you need to go do this or this is how you should do it. And then kind of just steps back silently and allows Paul and the, the apostles to go and do, based on the, the instructions they've been given, go and give it a crack and go and preach and, and visit the towns that they've been prompted to reach. There seems to be this beautiful relationship between the Holy Spirit and the apostles through acts of not, not control, but guidance again, and some creativity allowed in terms of how Paul ministers, how the apostles minister in different towns. And I think that is a beautiful precedent for how we should expect um, our ministry, you know, in 21st century officer and, and surrounds to be operating. We're going to, as a church, we're going to sense the Holy Spirit leading us to certain people, to certain organisations, to certain um, places in the community. And we may even have at times specific words. Um, I, I still maintain that I felt very specifically called to go to India um, I've probably shared this story with a few of you, but just in case you haven't heard, in, back in 2019, I had a second social work placement to complete as part of my social work and psychology degree at RMIT University. And at the start of the year, um, oh, sorry, it was actually supposed to be running during 2020. So 2019 was essentially my fourth year. You have your final placement in your fifth year. The start of the year, um, I had three independent incidents in January where India came up. Um, I... I think I was just reading an article about Christian persecution in India and was really grabbed by that. Then um, some of you remember a, a lovely lady called Melissa who used to worship with you here, Melissa Ferdinand, who used to worship with us here. She came up to me one Sunday and said, Sam, I believe God's calling you to India. And then there was a third thing that happened a couple of weeks later and I was freaked out. I didn't really want to go to India because it's, it's basically like the opposite of Western culture over there with their... Um, yeah, their Hindu culture, and it just sounds so intense, all the colours and the smells and the flavours. And, and, but I said to God, I said, all right, well, if you're wanting to lead me to India, then I don't know how I'm going to get there, but you've got to lead me. And I got an email from the university about a week later saying we've got an opportunity for social work students to do placements in India. So I believe that the Holy Spirit definitely does lead us specifically. But then there was a bit of creativity about when I landed in India, you know, who I hung out with on the campus who I decided to invest in, how I decided to, I guess, carry out that call. Um, and God did lead me specifically while I was over there. There was a couple of instances where I had opportunities to pray for people. And some of you will recall there was a video. I, you can go looking for if you, if you if you want. There's a video on YouTube, one of the Indian guys at the university, video me playing 10,000 Reasons up on the second floor near my room. And um, yeah, it was just really cool. It was a, a moment that only God could have orchestrated in terms of magnifying his name amongst... Uh, the Indian students at the university I was staying at. Just like that, Paul receives this vision from about this Macedonian man who 
is calling him and he concludes that God is calling him there. We're going to have moments where God speaks to us specifically, but there's also going to be moments where we don't have a specific voice. And it's up to us to actually, with good wisdom um, and agreement and unity as a community um, in our families, decide who we're going to invest in, how we're going to minister. I haven't really talked about the two words that I defined at the start, but the title remains Emperor and Empowerer. God empowers us to use creative license, but sometimes he does give us specific directions. And we know that, you know, in the, in the Bible, in his, in his word, we've got a, a pretty good moral framework um, to abide by. Um, within that moral framework, we often have opportunities to make decisions. And I want to encourage you, if you're facing situations at the moment where you're anxious, you know, you want, you want to know what God wants you to do, I want to assure you, he will show up. If, if, if he wants you to do something a specific way and you are seeking for that answer, he, he will give you that answer. In Matthew, Jesus says, what father, um, if, he, if his child asks for a, you know, a piece of bread, will give him a snake or I'll give him a stone, sorry. If you who are evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children when they ask, how much more will your heavenly father give to those who ask. But let's not be a people that are anxious um, when perhaps God is giving us freedom to choose. Um, let's be a people who, you know, and I've referenced your wife's painting earlier, Paul, it's the, it's the example that comes to mind. Let's be like Helen when God's given us a gift to, of creativity and he's given us an area of freedom. Let's exercise that creativity to the best of our ability. Um, to glorify him in the the way that we can best. Um, I just want to finish by, I guess, just talking a little bit about a few of those areas, just to give us some things to think about for this week. So I want you to have a think about, yeah, what areas has God given you boundaries, yet freedom to exercise your creative license? A few areas that I can think of, well, I experienced it in terms of choosing a career. You know, I I asked God for a specific uni course. (laughs) He didn't give it to me. So I chose to become a social worker. I didn't have a specific word about that, but I sought him for a long time about a specific word that didn't come. And, and I can say, and I'm, I hope that you can testify too, that God has blessed my decision to, to pursue a social work career. I think about family, and that's why the image in the background is there. You know, for those of you that are parents and, and grandparents, God has given you some principles in his word about how family should operate. But he doesn't tell you what family traditions to to institute and jokes and holiday destinations to go to. That's up to you guys to exercise the creativity that, you know, and the the leash that God's given you. Do that to the best of your ability. Create family cultures that are, you know, align with the moral principles in God's word, um, but are marked by a really unique, fun, um, distinct culture that your family can be proud of. I think of those of us that are in workplaces where we manage um, systems and processes and people. You know, we're not going to find a blueprint in, in the Bible. Um, and I, I don't know if you've experienced it, but I certainly haven't experienced the Holy Spirit saying, this is the structure, Sam. This is the, these, this is the roles that you need to assign to the people around you. Exercise that managerial responsibility that God's allowed you to have in the best creative way possible while still adhering, obviously, to the, to the moral principles that we know of, of God. Um, and then we've talked about art, music. A lot of us have music abilities and we have a, a really great worship team that 
week after week and, and just recently met to craft some songs, you know. There's a lot of songs in God's Word, there's psalms, but He's given us creative ability to worship Him in music. Those of you that are musicians, use your creative gifts with the grace God's given you. This sermon is an example of me having some boundaries, but actually having to make decisions. I wasn't given a characteristic of God to preach on. I would have loved to, because that that means that I have to make less decisions. And decisions are really, as I've pointed to, sometimes I get anxious about decisions, because then that means that I've got to take responsibility if I say something that's, you know, a little bit theologically incorrect, right? But that's okay. That's part of learning. That's part of growing. God wants us to develop into people that are creative, that make good decisions, that develop wisdom. So I want you to think about this week. How can you exercise the creative license God's given you? But also, is there areas in your life where you do need to yield to the specific instructions that he's given us as, as, as an emperor of sorts? We don't want to be people that exercise creative license where God's explicitly told us to stay out of that area as well. We don't want to go and eat from the tree of good and evil if he's told us not to go there um, because we know that has devastating consequences as well. I hope that, some, that gives you a little bit of stuff to wrestle with this week as we continue to journey as a community around about the character of God and, and learning a bit more there. So I'll just pray and... Um, Would you stand with me just as a physical representation of a spiritual posture um, before the Lord, if you're comfortable? And if you feel comfortable, just stretching out your hands to um, demonstrate that openness to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for how you lead us, how you guide us, how you do give us specific instructions. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that's with us, that so often prompts us and convicts us when we're a little bit off off kilter, Lord. But we thank you too that you've given us a mind that's so incredibly complex and a creative ability to be able to make choices about how we do live our lives in those areas of, of, of freedom. And so I just want to pray that you would help us to know more Um, about how to glorify you well with our creative license. And God, help us in our areas of um, stubbornness where you have given us specific directions, Lord. Help us to trust you. Lord, come and fill our hearts afresh this week with a passion for your name, with a passion to glorify you. Fill us anew, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at hello at hope revolution.church.